0: Several weeks before we broke into our Christmas series, we were in the book of Romans, went through chapters one through five, and now we're back into the book of Romans again, preaching through it verse by verse. We're in chapter number six, and um, that week before we had, uh, that first week of January before, um, before we broke for snow, um, we kind of began a sermon talking about the new life that we have in Christ, in with the new. Now that we're saved, now that the gospel has taken effect, what do we do with it? What are we we supposed to do with the gospel? What does the gospel mean? Is it just a nice story to tell? It's like the old hymn says, I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory. But is it just a story to tell or does the gospel have an effect on my life? Not just on my eternity, but on my life today. And I think this is a problem that many people in the church today have. Because we look around and we think life may not be going so well. Maybe life is going well and that's great. But maybe life isn't going well. We see COVID on the rise. We see things going on. We see struggles happening every day. Maybe our bank, there's more month than there is bank account right now. And we think the gospel is great for my eternity, but in real life, I need something else. What does the gospel mean for me now? Almost like, I got saved, I got my head out of hell free card, I got my eternal fire insurance, but I'm going to have to make the most of my life right now. It is still God's desire that we make the most of our life in him. It is still and always has been the God's desire for us to make the most of our life in him. Chapters 1 through 5 gave us that theological found framework and foundation of the gospel of Christ. Number one, we're all sinners, Right? every last one of us. If you can't admit you're a sinner, you can at least admit the person sitting next to you is a sinner, right? And hopefully by the end of the service, you'll admit that you're a sinner too, right? We have to admit that we're sinners. We've all sinned. That was what Paul basically went on. And there was a lot of messages where I felt like, man, I just can't wait until we get to something happy, right? Because there was a lot of just like, we're bad, we're sinners, we should know it. All this stuff, right? And then we see that, yes, we are sinners, but God in his love and in his mercy and in his grace provided a way for our sins to be dealt with. And it wasn't through us just getting better. It wasn't through us just stepping up and being better versions of ourselves. It was through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about this. God in God, in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, in all of his splendor, in all of his perfection, when we rebelled against him, he cared enough for us. Yes, he had every reason to be righteously angry and righteously indignant. And yes, he is a jealous God. Yes, he is a God of anger. Yes, he is a God of wrath. But he is a God of grace and mercy. And in his grace and mercy, he satisfied his wrath through the sacrifice of his son. And he gave us salvation. So that we could have heaven as a home. That no, we don't deserve it. But God in his grace and mercy provided it. And so now, what we have to understand is, I got heaven. If I've trusted Christ, I've got heaven. I'm not getting there any other way but through Jesus. I can't try to follow the law. I can't try to just pick myself up by my own spiritual bootstraps. I've got Jesus. Now what? That's where we get into in chapter 6 and get through the middle. Kind of like, like the middle of the book is like the meat. The practical application of what we've learned theologically in verses 1 through 5. And then as we get in the last part of Romans, we're going to look at what does it mean for the church. But what does it mean for me as I live my life every day as a child of God? What does it mean? The gospel makes everything new. Remember that, write that down, get that. The gospel has made everything new. It's given us a new hope. It's given us a new birth. It's given us a new home in heaven, but the gospel has made everything new and the gospel changes everything. If you know Christ Jesus as your savior, you are not the same person you were when you were born. You are not the same person. We are not the same people in Jesus Christ as we were outside of him. So last, this is kind of part two of a message that I began. And I don't want to re-preach the points. But I know we've had a week off. And if you're like me, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast about an hour and a half ago. So maybe a review can help you a little bit, okay? All right. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17 says. This kind of guides us in what Paul is going to say in Romans today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see that the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old stuff has passed away and the new has come. I'm not just an upgraded form of Derek. I'm a new Derek. You are not just an upgraded form of yourself. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we should understand as we dive in to Romans chapter 6 verse number 1. It says, what should we say then to all of this stuff? To all of what we've seen in chapters 1 through 5, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply or may, so it may abound? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. I've got that circled, highlighted, and, and underlined in everything in my Bible. Death no longer rules. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time, but he, the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and don't offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Death no longer rules. Sin no longer rules. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you will speak through your word. Hide me behind the cross as your messenger today. Help us, give us the spiritual ability to understand what you want us to know about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at what are the new things that I have because of Jesus Christ? What is new because of the gospel? Remember, if the gospel makes all things new, if Jesus died so that we could have a new life, what does that new life look like? And what do I need to understand about myself? The Bible has been called B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I also believe that the Bible is kind of like your new life in Christ owner's manual. Okay, anybody just sit down if they get a new car and just read their owner's manual cover to cover? When do we look at our owner's manual usually? When something goes wrong, right? And if you're like me, I don't even, I'm like my owner's manual somewhere in my glove box. I just call my brother because he knows way more about cars than I do. And he works for the company that sold me the car, so he better know, right? So we usually don't consult our owner's manual until it's absolutely necessary, do we? We need to consult this to understand just what we have. We're not just a new upgraded model of ourselves. We are brand new. There's a new way. We've been given new things. And the first thing we looked at last last time we were together was that we have a new nature. Right? Remember when Paul asked this rhetorical question, what should we say then to all this stuff? It was a kind of like, go back and review all the things about the gospel. Go back and review where you were in sin. The fact that you were born in sin and enslaved to sin and all you do is sin. Sinners, sin, right? You're new now. You're a sinner saved by grace, which means I have a new nature in me. But Paul says this, what should we say then? Because there are some people who say, uh, okay, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to live life to the hill. Because if if, if I can't lose my salvation, this is the perfect deal. This is the perfect deal. It's like if God looked down and said, hey, buddy, I know you've been dieting, but today we're going to make sure that everything you eat, none of the calories count. None of it's going to matter. What are you going to do? you're going to live it up, right? You're heading to Golden Corral and then stopping at, you know, another buffet on the way home. This is the way we treat our salvation sometimes. I got my get out of hell free card. I got my internal fire insurance and I'm going to sit as close to the fire and I'm going to wallow around in as much as I can since I can't get burned anymore. That's not the way this works. That's not why the gospel was given to us. The gospel was given to us to give us a new nature, not just make us Teflon, spiritual Teflon. The gospel was given to us to give us a new nature. He says, should I go on and sin? No, absolutely not. How can we who have been dead to sin, who are now completely new, regenerated in Christ, how can we even want to go back to what we were before? Because Paul later on in his writings would say this. He says, even though he was doing some amazing things for God, he still looked at himself as the chief of sinners. He never could get past what he was before Christ. He always carried around with him the remembrance of where he was. Kind of like David said in the Psalms. He says, I remember the pit that I have been dragged out of. Look, it does us well to remember the pit from which we've been dragged because we have to remember that where we were dragged was a pit. It may have had some of its pleasures, but it was still a pit that pulled us down to death. So he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Basically asking, if I sin, that means God's just going to show me more grace and grace upon grace. And so if I sin and people see me forgiven, then that means that they'll see how good God is. No, the best way to show a good God is to live a godly life. The best way to show a good God is to show a life that has been changed with new desires and a new heart. Rather than someone who just got a good deal and got a good bargain and now he doesn't have to worry about ending up in hell. So the defining question is, how can we who died to sin still live in it? See, because if something is killing us, our best course of action is to what? It's to stop doing what's killing us. The Bible says sin kills. Our best course of action is to stop doing what continues to kill. And we kind of left with this, with this point. If you can characterize your Christian life and your Christian testimony by a desire to go to heaven while at the same time desiring to live as close as possible as you can to hell, then you may want to assess whether you've truly got a regenerated heart in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't just die to give us a get out of hell free card. Jesus died to make us new. And in the newness of life, our desires begin to change. Do they change automatically? No. As we grow in him and as we are sanctified, they begin to change. My new nature is one that will desire life in Christ, not death in sin. The second thing we looked at was that believers have a new relationship. We have a new relationship in Jesus Christ in verses 3 and 4. He says, "We were baptized into Christ and we're baptized into his death and we're buried with him by baptism into death, so that Jesus Christ was raised by the dead by the glory of raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life." We've got a new relationship. It's a relationship that changes our identity. You know that old line, you're known by the friends you keep? Anybody ever been, ever heard that line? Yeah? You ever thought about who's known, what people think about somebody else because of what they know about you and they know you're friends with them? That's a, that's a lot to process right there, right? We're known by the friends we keep, right? So if I have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, I've got a new identity, right? Hey, we call ourselves Christians, don't we? We've taken the name of Jesus Christ. So if we have a new identity... And if everything that we do doesn't look like Christ, doesn't reflect His nature, doesn't reflect His love, His mercy, and His grace, you begin to wonder: Are you really? Do you really know this Jesus that you're talking about? See, it changes our identity, and it also changes our direction. It says we were baptized into His death, and that sounds a little bit morbid. But here's the thing: When Jesus died, He died to conquer sin. When we die. We die because we've been defeated by sin. But we've now been baptized into his death, which means that when this body wears out and I do finally succumb to death and the curse of sin, it will be ultimate victory rather than ultimate defeat. People who grieve me, and I hope there'll be people who grieve my loss, but people who grieve me will grieve with hope of one day seeing me again because Jesus has taken the sting out of death. I have a new nature, I have a new identity, I have a new direction because I am not going to continue to be drugged down, 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 down into the pits of sin and despair and ultimately down into hell anymore. I will be plucked out of that pit, set my feet upon a rock and one day when I draw my last breath here, I will be seated beside God and Jesus Christ. It's one that changes our direction. Colossians 1.13 says he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of the son that he loves. The gospel made it possible for all of us stumbling around in darkness to be pulled out of that darkness and guided to life in him. It's also a new relationship that offers constant fellowship. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the and that will never leave us and never forsake us. He walks with us and he talks with us. As it says, we'll walk in the newness of life. He walks with us. So many times you'll see when God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he walked with Enoch and he walks with us. That walking is a building of relationship. When Jesus died on the cross and when the Holy Spirit came to be our comforter, that garden walk in the cool of the day was restored with us. And it's a walk that never ends. He's offered us constant fellowship. And so let's get into the new. That's what we kind of looked at last time and that was kind of our review real quick. But let's get in to number three. Believers have a new life as well. Believers have a new life. Life in Christ is new life. In verse number four, it says, we are saved to walk in the newness of life. And again, we have to understand the gospel changes everything. It changes everything. We have a new life, not just one that we're trying to manufacture with resolutions and willpower, but a new life that makes us totally new. See, if our idea of what a Christian looks like is someone who basically makes a decision to say, hey, I'm going to start going to church and I'm going to start attending some Bible studies and I'm going to start learning some verses and I'm going to start doing some of these things. And we basically view our Christian Christianity and our sanctification as this latter step of badges and things that we earn on our way to looking more like Jesus. We've missed the boat. See, the Christian life and sanctification is God being made more manifest in us. As we surrender ourselves to him, more of him begins to take over the vessel. See, we've been given a new life in him. And I can't resolution my way to being a better Christian. I can't just say, you know what? I'm just going to start reading more of the Bible every day. There's nothing wrong with making commitments. There's nothing wrong with that. But looking at that and saying, my commitment to this is going to be what brings me here. No, it's God who brings us there. It's God who does that. It's the spirit alive in us. It's the surrender to the calling of the spirit on us that brings us to him, that manifests itself to us. See, so gospel changes everything. And here's why we have a new life in him. Because it's a life that is conceived in the power of Christ's resurrection. We have a life that has been given to us by Jesus Christ, the all-powerful, all-knowing perfect son of God. We live and share in his resurrection. It says in verse number five, if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, a death that conquered sin, then we are also united with him in the power of his resurrection. We will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. See, it was the death of Christ that paid for our sins, but it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us life everlasting. His death paid, his resurrection conquered And we can't have one without the other. And I I know a lot of times the cross gets the press. It's become our logo, basically, for Christianity. And we think about what happened on the cross. But if there is no empty tomb, the cross just paid for our sin, there is still no victory. The resurrection is what has given us victory and has given us new life. The new life that we have in Christ has nothing to do with our ability, has nothing to do with our strength, nothing to do with any of it. It's a life that is totally conceived and dependent on the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's because he lives that we can face tomorrow. And here's something else that we need to remember. Every resurrection story that we see in scripture, every resurrection story happened because of the influence and the power of God. No one ever raised from the dead on their own. You look back, Lazarus. Lazarus didn't just come out of the grave on his own. He came out because Jesus called him out with Jesus' resurrection power. Jairus' daughter was raised because of Jesus' resurrection power. All of those who were raised from the dead in Scripture was raised through the power of God. And you and I cannot resurrect ourselves. We're born dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And only through Jesus Christ can we be lifted out of that. Lest we start thinking that we are our own God or I can work my way to heaven. It's like Paul said to the intellectual elite when he was on Mars Hill. Sitting in this huge temple in the Greco-Roman culture and all of these philosophers and the the Stoics and all of these people are sitting there. And they've got all of these idols, all of these things that have been built to all of these false gods. this pantheon of gods that they worshipped. And they thought that they were doing an amazing thing by having all of this done. And so in case they missed one, they had another one that was set up over there. And it said it was an altar to the unknown God, to unknown gods. And Paul looks at him and says, guys, this is the only one that you need to be looking at. Because you know all of these other false gods, but it's the one that you're missing that is the God. And he says this, it is in this God. It is in Yahweh. Is in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being in the book of Acts. In him we live and we move and we have our being. If it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't have our next breath. If it were not for the will of God, we would have no purpose. And if it were not for the goodness of God, we would have no joy or peace in this life. It's in him that we live and that we move and, our, and we have our being. So it's a new life that is conceived in his resurrection. It's also a new life that's marked by freedom. Look at verse number six. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. So while the resurrection of Christ gives us new life, the death of Christ paid for the sins and purchased our freedom from sin in the grave. See, he says, we were enslaved to sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, he purchased our freedom. He purchased that enslavement. We are no longer slaves, but we have been set free. We now have the ability in Christ to say no to the power of sin. Rather than to live enslaved to it with no choice, but to give in. See, we're going to be looking at this a little bit more next week. Because he's really going to drill down in the next few verses on going from slaves to of sin to being slaves of God and what that really looks like. But suffice it to say this, Jesus has set us free. The gospel changes everything. Here's another thing that the gospel changes. He set us from slaves to being free in him. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free in him to serve him. See, in the terms of human commitment, look what it says. It says, we are no longer enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. See, in the terms of human commitment contracts, death is usually kind of looked at as the ultimate out clause, isn't it? Right? I remember when uh, 20 years ago when when I stood with Stacy and we took our wedding vows, we said, until death do we part, right? That means that our marriage is binding until death parts us, right? We have contracts and things, and sometimes contracts are let out of it if you, if you pass away and things that happen there. there there's those clause. Death is the ultimate outlaws. Even back in those days when a indentured servant or a slave were to die, they were no longer considered to be a slave anymore, obviously. They were given their freedom posthumously. But because of the gospel, I'm no longer a slave to what I have been dead in, in sin. Because of the gospel, I'm now dead to sin. I'm no longer dead in sin, I'm dead to sin. Sin no longer has a hold on us, and we've been made free. See, new life in Christ is one that is marked by freedom. That I don't have to walk in sin's power, I can walk in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. We're also eternally victorious in our nature. This is a new life that gives us victory. What we basically have to understand as sinners without God, we live in a life of t- constant and total defeat. And there's a, you may look around and say, there's a lot of people who don't name the name of Christ, who don't necessarily follow this idea, and they seem to be pretty victorious right now. I want to remind you that this life is not the sum total of everything. The final chapter has not been written yet. And if Jesus is not the final chapter, and if he's not the star of the story, Victory can't be won. Victory is only found in Christ. Look at verses 8 through 11. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Even when our bodies finally give way to the fallen state of this world and we die, our spirits live with Christ. And we're given a new body in heaven. I can't wait for that new body because it's going to be a perfect body. That means I'm going to be cut, I'm going to be ripped, I'm going to have six-pack abs, I'm going to eat all the Twinkies and Ho-Hos I want to and not gain a pound. I'm just teasing, I probably won't do that. But how is all of this possible? How is all this perfection and all this newness and all this promise possible? Because of Jesus, not because of us. Not because we've earned it. Not just because we lucked out in some spiritual lottery, but because God, in his love and grace, made a way for this to be the case. It's in God that we have our victory. His Christ was raised to eternal life in resurrection and we have been baptized into the same resurrection in Christ and death no longer rules. Why does death no longer rule over Jesus? And why does death no longer rule over Jesus' kids? Because Jesus conquered death. Jesus killed death. He killed death. For the death he died, his death was necessary for our salvation, but his resurrection is necessary for our life. So let me ask you a question. How would you characterize your life? You look back and somebody says, hey man, Characterize your life in 140 characters. Is it one that's been worth living? It's hard to characterize and put a life in a nutshell, isn't it? So let's do this. Is your life one that's been worth living? And what is it that makes it worth living? A lot of times we'll say it's our, our families, our kids, our spouse, our friends. Some of us might be workaholics, we'll say it's our careers. You know, the things that we have or something like that. But If our life is one that is worth living it has to be and if your life is one that is worth living you want it to be one that you can look forward to in eternity as well. If life is worth living now isn't it also worth living beyond? What we often do is we trade in the life beyond for the little segment of time right over here. Because I say this little segment of time, I've got to put everything I've got in it to make it worth living and never come to the one who gives you all the best afterward. It's the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Instead of being dead in sin, embrace the life in Christ that is dead to sin. And that's what the last few verses are about as we get ready to close out. Number four, we're given a new challenge. We're given a new purpose. Before Christ, have you ever thought about this? What was life worth living for before Christ? Those of you who've been saved for any amount of time, before Christ, what was life really about? After Christ, has it changed what life is all about to you? Has Christ changed your perspective on the way you're living? Because we're given a new challenge. Life becomes about something different now. We've been given a new life in Christ and one that has defeated sin, one that's killed death, and it will never end. But that life is not without its challenges. See, I wish, I wish that once we got saved, Jesus just said, all right, you are now Teflon. You are going to be holy. You're never going to be tempted. You're never going to struggle. You're my kid. You're going to walk around with a white robe, and everybody who sees you is going to know you're, you're my kid. And hands off. That's not how it works. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you follow me, back in Matthew, you follow me, life may feel harder. Life may get worse. Life may be full of more struggles. You may even find yourself more tempted for things now. Yeah, man, that's, that's the kind of thing that stinks, right? And so the new challenge that we have is, first of all, we need to learn to fight sin. Look at what verses 12 through 13 says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God as parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So instead of living under that constant, just giving in into temptation, we now have the ability and the expectation to say no to sin. Because sin may not kill us and send us to hell, but sin can still be killing us. Because now sin will affect my spiritual relationship with Christ. It will affect my sense of victory. It will affect my sense of security in Christ. John Owen, who was a well-known Puritan preacher in England during the 1600s, he's probably best known for the quote, always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. See, Jesus has defeated death and sin, but but sin is still all around us. It doesn't make us impervious to sin. It makes, us, it makes us a victory over sin's final demise of death. But sin still will be killing facets of us if we're not careful. It's kind of like, I, I think about it like this. I like to mow my yard and tend to my own yard. Anybody with me? I'm the only one. Okay. All right. I guess it's just because I like to step back after I've mowed my yard and look at it and be like, I did that. You know, I like the lines, I got a checkerboard cross-cut pattern going on and everything. I like to mow my own yard. But you know what, I hate crabgrass, I hate dandelions, I hate moles, really hate moles. They love me, they love my yard. I hate grub worms, I hate army ants, I hate all that stuff. I don't like any of that. So what do I do? I treat my yard. To kill all that stuff off. And so once I put that treatment down, I never have to put that treatment down again. A one-time treatment fixes it all, right? No. It'll initially kill it off. It'll make the yard healthier. And it makes it look really nice for a while. But what happens? After a while of not maintaining that, after a while of not paying attention to those weeds, they begin to grow again. Why? Because weeds be killing my, my lawn. If I am not killing them weeds, then will, them weeds be killing my lawn. Always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Have you been given salvation if you know Christ? Absolutely. Can sin ultimately kill you? No. But can sin kill pieces of your life and make your life a living hell on earth? Yes, it can. Always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Sin acts now in our life like the weeds that choke the joy and the health and the vitality out of our life and out of our testimony and out of our witness. So we must learn to fight sin. The best way to fight sin is to surrender to Christ. Look at verse number 13. Don't offer any parts of yourself to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. The only real way to fight sin is to surrender to Christ. This means we stop viewing our life as our own. My life isn't my own anymore. Why? Because I was purchased at the cross of Christ. And when I received Jesus Christ, I came under new ownership. You came under new ownership. Your life is not your own. It's his. He purchased you. He died to save you. And he sealed you for eternity when you were. You can't even get out of it if you want to. Because once we're saved, we're always saved. But here's the thing about new ownership. He's not a tyrant. We're going to look more about that next Sunday. See, Jesus doesn't come in and take over dominant control. He dominates the sin and the death that held you captive. But the freedom that he gives you and I is that we have the choice. Will I follow him or will I follow flesh? And we best fight sin when we surrender our lives and our will to the sin killer. To the death killer. We have to surrender our lives to him. The best way to surrender our lives to him is to just embrace the grace that we've been given. To embrace the grace that we've been given. It's easy to hear, fight sin and surrender to Christ and think, it's impossible to be right all the time. It's impossible to get everything right all the time. And pastor, let me just say, I know you and you don't get it right all the time. You're doggone right I don't. This is why... We have to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ every day. See, what sometimes we do is we abuse the grace. Well, God's going to give me grace anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to, and he'll forgive me later. No. Embracing grace looks a little bit different. Embracing grace doesn't take advantage of the grace of God. Embracing grace respects the fact that there is a gracious God, and that he loves me and he gave himself for me. Look what it says in verse number 14. Sin will not rule over you. Because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You are not under law, but you are under grace. You need to catch two vital truths from this verse. And I don't know how you've been tracking with the message so far. This has been more kind of like teaching more than it has been preaching this morning. But here's two things that I hope you get. Number one. Sin will not rule those who have been given a new life. Sin will not and cannot rule those who've been given a new life. Sin can peck at us. Sin can come at us. Sin can kill portions, but it cannot kill the whole thing. Sin no longer rules at you. This means that sin may hold you down, but it will never hold you out of his kingdom. Sin will never hold you out of his kingdom. There is always a way back. There is always forgiveness. No matter how dark it may get, restoration is always on the horizon because God's grace means that he is an infinitely forgiving and merciful God. That's why sin no longer rules over you. Grace rules over you. Grace rules for those, truth number two, grace rules for those who've been given a new life in Christ. Sin no longer rules, grace rules. I no longer live under the law. I live under grace. I no longer live under constant condemnation. I live under constant grace. And a constant call from the Father, come to me who are weak and weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And guess what makes us weak and weary and burdened? Sin. Because if we're not killing sin, it's killing us. Catch this truth and breathe it in. Take it in. Live under this. You're not under condemnation. You're under grace. As we close out this morning, that's my challenge to you. There's a challenge to everyone no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum. If you know Christ, embrace Him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, be embraced by Him today. Come to Him. Trust Him as your Savior. Give Him your faith. Surrender to Him. And trade in living under sin for living under the grace of God. Because that is what the gospel makes new. He changes everything. Maybe you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian. The path to Jesus is to embrace grace. All of us have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory, but it's because of God that we have repentance available to us. Trust Him. Maybe you know Him and you're doing the best you can to walk with Him and live this new life that you've been given, but the, fa- the path to fulfillment is to embrace grace. If you're like, like me... I'm constantly having to fight the legalist side of my life because I'm very, I'm very good at just like keeping a checklist and doing those things and feeling accomplished through those checklists. But to embrace grace is not to, not to embrace my checklist, but to embrace the one who gave me life, to embrace Christ. And maybe you know him and you know you're saved, but you know you haven't been walking with him. You've been taking that life and you're saying, it's my own. And you've been like, thanks for purchasing it, but I'll see you when I get to heaven. I'm going to enjoy everything the way it is right now. I want to go to heaven, but I want to live as close to hell as I possibly can before I get there. My prayer for you is that you'll see through the word. That's not God's desire for your best life. That's not God's desire for peace and joy and happiness in your life. God's desire is for surrender to him and that life of victory and a life of constant fellowship and constant relationship with him supersedes anything that anything else this world can offer. So those are the three things. Do you know him? If you know him, are you embracing him? And if you've been embracing more than grace or something other than grace, embrace it today. As we bow our heads and we close our eyes this morning and go to a time of just response, if you're watching this morning through virtual worship or if you're here in person this morning and you just need to counsel and you need to talk to somebody or you have questions, if you're watching virtually, please reach out to us, gracewaylex at gmail.com or comment there in the comment section on what you're watching. If you're here in person this morning, if you need to talk to me or another counselor, please do so. It can be about anything. It doesn't have to be just about what this message, but has this message made you think? Has God spoken to your heart in some way? When he speaks, not only does he want us to listen, but he wants us to respond. What response is he asking of you this morning? To trust him as Savior? Is he asking you to embrace him more than the relationship he offers? Or is he asking you to turn and embrace him, to give your life back to him? To realize it's not your own. Heavenly Father, have your will and way in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, Please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.